and how two people together can talk through difficult issues, have it be a reparative experience rather than simply like a rejection. Hi, thanks for listening to Doorknob Comments. I'm Farah White. And I'm Grant Brenner. We are psychiatrists on a mission to educate and advocate for mental health and overall well-being. In addition to the obvious, we focus on the subtle, often unspoken dimensions of human experience, the so-called doorknob comments people often make just as they are leaving their therapist's office. We seek to dispel misconceptions while offering useful perspectives through open and honest conversation. We hope you enjoy our podcast. Please feel free to reach out to us with questions, comments, and requests. Thanks for joining us today. Farah and I are going to talk about psychotherapy some more. If you've been listening, you know that we have some great prior episodes about therapy. Today, we're going to focus on some of the challenges that come up in therapy and ways that people in therapy can add to their own therapy. And so we'll be talking about some of what it's like to be a therapist, what therapists find helpful, and how people in therapy can not only enhance their therapeutic experience and effectiveness, but also how a lot of the skills that come up in therapy are also good to practice for what people sometimes call real life. What do you think? Does that make sense, Farah? Yeah, I think it does. Did I, did I do a good job? <laughs> you did. I like how you put it earlier where you said how to help your therapist help you, because I think one of the beautiful but also difficult parts of therapy is knowing how it's working, when it's working, and sometimes the uncertainty or not having those concrete goals. We were talking about psychotherapy as opposed to some other modalities where people might use scales or have these like concrete measures. We don't have I use that. scales as a psychotherapist. Oh, okay. There, okay. there are a lot of psychotherapy scales. Some of the most effective ones actually measure the quality of the interpersonal relationship because that's a big predictor of treatment outcome. Yeah. The interpersonal relationship, which is also known, right, as would be known as the therapeutic alliance. I know what you mean, though. You're you're talking, we're talking about more open-ended, the traditional free-form psychodynamic or psychoanalytic therapy, which typically doesn't have a lot of structure other than what we call the frame, right? Right. Like you start and stop on time. Right. But within that, I think um, sometimes people have a lot of questions about how things work or what we see yeah. as a therapist. And sometimes they might feel really comfortable asking and sometimes not. Right. And the other issue is, does the therapist tell you how therapy is supposed to work? Would that be helpful? Should, should even open-ended therapists describe how it works a little bit at the beginning? I know I teach therapy and, you know, that's that's what the textbook says for psychodynamic therapy, even Mm -hmm. quote unquote open-ended therapy. The therapist explains how it works. You know, we become aware of things that we're not aware of, feelings, maybe developmental experiences we had Mm -hmm. that help shape our our current relationships and decisions. Um, And that through the process of discovering, you know, what is not obvious about oneself through the, the truth of learning about oneself. We become more aware, we develop insight, sometimes it's called insight-oriented therapy, Mm -hmm. and then we start to make behavioral changes. We sort of practice those changes, bring it back to therapy. Hey, I tried talking to my boss differently. You you were right. You know, I asked for a raise and my boss didn't say yes, but they said, if I do this, this, and that, I I can get Mm -hmm. a raise or a promotion. It worked out really well. I was terrified they would just yell at me. 
Yeah, I think that's all. I agree with all of what you said. I think the one part that becomes a little well, not concerning is if the therapist has a, you know, too strong of a view of how the therapy should work or how it should go or what the process is, you know, the patient may feel like, well, how can I really live up to that? Or am I doing this right? And there's not really a wrong way to do it. I don't think. No. Yeah, it's 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 not supposed to be a recipe for how yeah. you're supposed to to participate in therapy as a patient. And if you don't, you're a bad a bad patient, and you're right. in trouble. And yeah, if the patient is if the therapist rather is kind of over invested in the therapy, I agree mm-hmm. with you. It, it can it can go sideways in a bunch of different ways. And certainly, Freud cautioned against therapists using too much suggestion right. or direction. And typically, psychodynamic therapists have a softer touch yeah. and want to leave more autonomy to the patient. It should be more like we're holding up a mirror so the patient can see their own patterns or desires or goals. Um, That's a very classical position, kind of the mm-hmm. therapist as a mirror or a blank slate. Right. Where That's one of the reasons why sometimes if you ask your therapist about themselves, they'll say, well, why do you think you're interested in that? Or what do you imagine? Uh, yeah. Which can be frustrating. I guess taking a step back, if, if you're talking about that that model, right? The idea that, that Freud talked about, Freud's idea, though, was that the person in therapy, the analysand, would say whatever comes to mind and try not to censor themselves and mention if if they're, you know, censoring themselves. If you're ashamed or embarrassed, you're not saying something. And that was called the fundamental rule. And the therapist, by the same token, was supposed to listen without judgment. And so that led to therapists being fairly silent, Mm -hmm. relatively speaking, or relatively not speaking. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a silly joke. Um, I, I do think that sometimes it is hard because that's such a departure from how two people might interact in real life. Yeah, it's not your normal conversation. Right. And so a lot of people have an issue thinking, oh, well, I just come in here and I talk about myself for the entire time. And maybe they don't feel good about it or they're confused by it and they want to ask the therapist stuff about themselves, but they don't. I think people misunderstand uh, why that's not really done. And there are a couple of reasons, starting one with um, that Freudian theory, but also I think because, well, the reason that I try not to talk about myself too much uh, in therapy is because I don't want to tell someone something that they don't want to know. Right. Yeah. I, I approach that similarly and, and a little different, differently. Mm-hmm. Technically, this is called self-disclosure. Right. Uh, and some forms of self-disclosure, you can't help, right? You can tell some things about me by the way I sound and, and the way I look. Mm-hmm. You in your tell, office. And- you know, that I that I grew up in Antarctica because <laughs> of my heavy, you know, layer of, of fur and my um, wings, which are obviously designed for swimming okay. and not flying. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I think that self-disclosure, the way that I uh, sort of conceptualize it and that makes me feel good about how and when we talk about things Uh, personal things, is that it really should be in the interest of the patient and the treatment. Right. But I mean, joking aside, of of course, I'm not a penguin. Mm -hmm. 
but you can tell like um you know light skin you you might be able to guess that i'm from the eastern seaboard you know you might be able to say something about my education just knowing i'm a psychiatrist right i at least had to you know go to medical school and complete training but people often don't ask things about their therapists when it might be helpful to talk about it those are the things you can't help disclosing right so how do you address it though if someone asks you sort of some questions as you're saying which seems sort of normal conversational like oh where are you going on vacation and then your therapist mm-hmm. might say something like oh, i'm going to aruba um or they might say well why do you ask and i think the why do you ask is the important piece because maybe they're asking um because they're going away too they want to make sure they're not going to see you or i, I don't know um, so they, they might be trying to figure something out about you like right. what kind of vacation so if you say i'm going to aruba versus you say like i'm, I'm going to go uh climb mount everest mm-hmm. right it's like well who is this person who i'm entrusting <laughs> my psychological growth with to some extent Right. Right. Which I think it's really actually normal and healthy to want to know and to want to know if your goals align and your ideology aligns. But I do think that there is a lot that's probably, you know, when you were saying, well, there are things that people can tell about you. Yeah, I agree. But there's also a lot that people would probably be surprised to know. That's the other thing. You're worried that you could do more harm than good. In in medical training, we're taught Latin, primum non nocere, mm-hmm. first do no harm. So, so some types of information might be more distressing than others or right. more unpredictable. But the other thing is also people look for role models. And so if you, if you say something like really cool, maybe that could be therapeutic for someone. Well, I'm going to go to Antarctica because I've, you know, I've really, I've always wanted to go there. I never had and they might they might say, oh, maybe I can explore things as well. But on the other hand, if you're doing something like, oh, I'm going base jumping, um, and then your patient does something really dangerous, maybe you'd want to be more careful about what model you're, you're yeah. presenting yourself as. True. And I also think that the mark of a good therapist is someone who can recognize that, you know, they're own goals might be different from what the patient wants for themselves. Right. And the primary things that a therapist is trying to model usually is a kind of emotional openness, um, tactfulness at the same time, careful exploration, Mm -hmm. compassionate approach, trying to encourage positive change and curiosity about oneself, trying to stay away from judgment and self-criticism. And trying not to try to tell the person too much what to do with their life, because right. after all, that that's a very individual decision. Exactly. Exactly. But I think people can feel certain things, right? If they maybe say, oh, well, I'm thinking about going back to school, right? And the therapist uh, either takes interest in that or seems a little too enthusiastic, those or not the, enthusiastic enough, or, right? Or, or not enthusiastic enough. Yeah, but then it really has to be, we have to put all our energy into the patient and why they would want that and to try to to leave our, our own values out. So, so in that sense, you're not as much a mirror as you might be uh, a partner in thought, yeah. which is the title of a book um, by Don Stern, uh, an analyst. But, okay. you know, you're you're serving to help the person 
think and feel through important decisions without pushing one way or the other, unless you're really concerned that there's something dangerous, right? If someone is considering or engaged in some kind of harmful activity, therapists yeah. usually will take a firmer position. Yeah, I think they that they should. Um, I think sometimes, and depending on the on the therapist and depending on the relationship, it, sometimes that can feel scary because you also don't want to sort of alienate someone who's in distress by saying, hey, this sounds really risky and I'm worried about you. Well, that's but, a worry that some therapists might have. You yeah. know, other therapists might feel more comfortable finding the words. And it also depends a bit on training. Psychiatrists were, were trained mm -hmm. to be more attentive to risk, but sometimes yeah. it can be heavy handed. So finding a good way to have those conversations that doesn't feel like um, punishment or controlling and really right. making it clear that it comes from concern is, is useful. Yeah. And um, I think that's one of the things that people <laughs> can sort of get out of therapy is being able to have a difficult conversation or a conversation where they voice those types of concerns one way or back and forth, whatever it is. Um, I know that there are patients who worry just as much about their therapist. Hey, you're, you're not looking too good today. Uh, you seem tired. Seems yeah. to be. It also depends on how much, you know, people always pick up on stuff with each other, you know, regardless of who's the patient and who's the therapist. Yeah. So some, some people are going to be more attuned to other people's sort of if something's wrong. Yeah. Um, is something wrong, right? And so maybe that's developmental. Like maybe they had a parent who was impaired in some way mm -hmm. and it was a survival skill for the kid to notice if their parent was in trouble right. that day. And so right. they might bring that into therapy. And then as, as, as you said, you know, it can come up in therapy and a, a therapist can take it at face value and say, no, I'm okay. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, let's, let's have our session now. Or, or they can say something like, I, I'm, I'm all right, you know, thank you for asking, but can you tell me a little bit more about where it was coming from? Mm -hmm. And then maybe later on in therapy, the conversation might be more like, let's look at how, how that plays out in other areas or how that was coming up for you as a kid. Right. And working through those things in therapy can help people to um, sort of retool themselves. Mm -hmm. Some people are kind of overly giving or see themselves as being compassionate and caring but mm -hmm. maybe they're overly empathic and it gets them into trouble sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or it's a way to control people or a situation or to ensure you know, that that person is going to be around to take care how, of them. How would that work? Uh, how, would, how would being uh, overcaring be a way to control or fend off loss? Because they might be trying to anticipate uh, any changes. Oh, summer's coming up. Have you got any plans to go away? You know, those types of things where they are looking to make sure there are no surprises. And that's where I think that being open and honest at a level that's appropriate is really important. If you are really tired and that's showing, I think it's okay to say, oh, I didn't sleep so well last night, but I'm, you know, happy to, to be here and I think I can focus and I'll, you know. Right. That would be a form of self-disclosure where you think it would be helpful rather than Number one, potentially gaslighting the patient right. exactly who sees something real, right? And yeah. maybe in their home growing up, one of their parents had obvious problems and just said, everything's fine. Like, why do you keep asking? And mm -hmm. then the kid doesn't know what's real and what's not real. Right. And then you can sort of work through that in therapy. But do you think it can be hard to get distance from someone if they seem to be someone who cares? 
like is showing caring for someone a way to kind of keep them from wanting to leave, you know, even though being quote unquote too needy can backfire mm-hmm. or, you know, being suffocating can push people away? Well, I think it's a good exercise just in general. Um, and maybe you weren't asking for this purpose, but like I find myself having to sometimes be be not quite as warm or effusive or uh, sort of affectionate in terms of words as I would want to be, because that is a lot for people to handle. And alternatively, if someone says, oh, you're the best therapist, you're so smart, you never make a mistake, um, that sort of idealization also evokes some anxiety in me. Yes. Well, sometimes people manage that. And of course, therapists are human too, but we're trained humans. So... (laughs) When there's a, like a misstep in therapy, I think one of the things we talked about while planning what to talk about now was that it's important for people to bring up when something isn't working with their therapists. Yeah. That by and large, it's good to be able to work out issues that come up, mm-hmm. maybe especially with therapists. Right. But it's also important to know where to draw the line and to directly address any concerns if something really doesn't feel right with a therapist and potentially seek additional consultation. What kind of stuff do you have in mind? Well, I think the usual things are, okay, I, oh, I forgot to send an invoice or I made a mistake on an invoice or okay. um, I, I asked you about something and then you felt very uncomfortable about it. You didn't expect me to bring that up. You know, let's talk about how it felt you know, all of a sudden we were talking about something sensitive in therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then you're on a higher level of talking about the relationship and how right. things unfolded. And, and that can be very helpful. If on the other hand, you have a therapist who like over and over and over again, keeps bringing up very uncomfortable subjects when you're clearly saying that I'm not comfortable with you bringing it up. And they say, well, I'm, I'm just doing this because, you know, you have to face your fears. And if you don't like do this, then you'll never get better. That starts to cross the line. I agree. Where the the therapist is becoming too coercive, or maybe Mm -hmm. they have some unresolved issue of their own and they're sort of playing it out in their therapeutic work. Could be. I think um, that everybody should feel comfortable to say, I don't want to talk about that right now um, and have that be respected. Um, and if it's something that keeps coming up and it's not getting heard, it certainly is problematic. And it's not either or. You know, you could say, I don't want to talk about that right now. And then the therapist might say, I, I respect that. Are you open to sharing a little bit about what you're feeling that it mm-hmm. came up? Or is there something else you'd like to move on to? Right. So you kind of maintain a, a balanced, open, but gentle stance where you're always interested, but you're not demanding. Yeah. Mm. What about one of the other things we talked about is one of the anxieties that people often have is whether their therapist, you know, sincerely cares and how much of it is a professional or business. Mm -hmm. And particularly if your therapist invoices on a monthly basis, that can really stir up those feelings. Mm -hmm. And it can feel like um, either or either uh, someone cares about me or they only care about money. But of course, the reality is somewhere in the middle and everyone has healthy needs for livelihood and professional satisfaction. How how do you think about that? 
I'm glad you brought it up in that way. There are a lot of misconceptions, it seems, about, you know, therapists caring, I would say, at, you know, to a, to a gross proportion about money. No one is really making that much money when they're, you know, treating a single patient. And I don't think that it's usually about that. I think that being able to have that conversation about what it means, and it's it's a professional relationship, but it's very personal and intimate, right? So this is a person who knows, you know, deepest, darkest secrets and- Or your to, brightest, lightest secrets. <laughs> yeah, and that too. And so to bring money into it can kind of feel weird sometimes. Yeah, depending. I think some people are very eager and almost over eager to pay for therapy and pay their bills. And some people are very reluctant. And I think that's interesting to look at, right? And right. sometimes it's about the relationship, but sometimes it's about that they don't feel that they deserve to spend this money on themselves. Um, and what does that mean? Right. right? And therapists sometimes feel awkward talking about financial issues. Certainly, but I think it's more complicated than someone like like a therapist liking or not liking, you know, when you're talking about the counter-transference and what we really feel towards someone, I think it's very, very complex. Well, yeah, there's two people involved and then mm -hmm. a lot of contextual factors. Yeah. Counter-transference being responses that, that the therapist has sort of best case scenario, those are average, ordinary reactions that everyone has. Mm -hmm. But therapists are trained, we're trained to reflect on our own responses and exercise caution. For example, if I worked with someone who I felt was like a daughter to me, I would take that into consideration and I'd be careful not to blur the different relationships. But I would say to myself, well, that's important information for me to think about. You know, yeah. I'm feeling protective, I'm feeling paternal. Right. Um, how might that help and how might that hinder our work? Exactly. In some circumstances, I might bring it up with the person if yeah, I thought it would be useful, but not just to gratuitously talk about my stuff. <laughs> And I think the reason that we don't gratuitously talk about it, or at least one of the reasons that I don't, is because I really want to demonstrate, uh, because I can sort of be friendly to to just about anyone. And a lot of my patients, I probably would be uh, friends with them if we had met under different circumstances. Maybe. So, yeah, I have to be very, it's very- a, That's mindful. a counter-transference fantasy, <laughs> and maybe it's true. Maybe, but I think I you're think generally approachable. Mm -hmm. Probably everyone wants to be friends with you, pretty much. And if they don't, there's probably Except something wrong with them, right? Except you. Whereas, whereas I'm, well, I, I don't know. I mean, whereas I'm, I'm a little more aloof. I have a right. lot of friends, but I'm not um, like super involved. I think that you can be very attentive um, and warm sometimes, but but maybe not in the same way. As yeah, I, no, I, I mean, I can be when I, when I open yeah. up with people, when yeah. I feel comfortable, but, but your demeanor is, is, right. is generally sort of more open and warm in, in, right. in a major way. And I'm sure that influences, you know, how your patients feel with you and vice versa. Right. But I think it's also important to make sure it, that that makes it, I guess, even more important to me, to me, to make sure that I'm clear about what my role is and that I'm there for them. And that, right, in, right. you know, in this one case, if I were to disclose something about myself, 
what's the real purpose of it? And because this is their time, I'm not going to use it talking about my weekend. You know, disclosing personal information tends to increase intimacy in relationships. And, you know, some people would share personal information with the intent of increasing intimacy. Mm-hmm. And that wouldn't usually be something that we would expect a well-trained therapist to do for a variety of different reasons, right? Which is quite different from sharing something that could be used therapeutically. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, you know, th- therapists all have different personalities. True. And so because of who you are, you're sort of watching yourself differently in terms of how you work as a therapist than I would be. But I think that's part of knowing oneself and trying to account for it. Like you might not know it, but I use a fair amount of humor. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes my humor is dry. Yeah. Usually tinged with with seriousness. Yeah. Whereas you hardly ever joke. (laughs) No, you joke a lot. I think I joke a lot. I try not to joke too much. Well, you have you can't joke about serious things, too right? Much, but you know, right. the, the times where I've where I've crossed the line is where my own life experience leads me mm-hmm. to joke a little bit more easily about grim things. Yeah. And certainly, doing two years as a general surgical resident as part of my training really even accentuated, you know, that uh, that type yeah. of sense of humor that that physicians can sometimes have right. because of how we cope with difficulties. But therapists are, are generally supposed to remain, you know, sensitive. Yeah. Uh, you know, so humor humor needs right. to be carefully tested and can backfire. I think sometimes, and it really depends on the situation. Um, to me, like the most important thing is to just be authentic. And sometimes yeah. it's nice to be able to model that it's okay to laugh about certain things that are sad. Well, it can be therapeutic at the right moments in therapy. Right. You know, for example, laughing at oneself can be very therapeutic when the circumstances are right. Like, for example, it can really relieve one from a sense of shame. Right. But you'd have to do a lot of work to laugh at yourself. Otherwise, it it just feels like someone's being mean Mm -hmm. or it can. It's, It's hard to tell early on. And this applies to a lot of relationships, but make sure it's a good, a good and good enough fit mm-hmm. because the relationship is an important predictor of therapeutic outcomes. And you're going to be talking about important things, maybe for a while. If something doesn't feel right about the match between you and the therapist, it's, it's a good idea to bring it up, you know, give it some time, but also bring it up and realize there are a lot of therapists and you, you can find someone who might be able to address your concerns more effectively, you know, yeah. without jumping, jumping from one therapist to the next, without right. giving it a chance. Right. What do you think about that? I, I totally agree. But I also think that sometimes a lot of the <laughs> trappings of like a normal relationship where you might really like someone and want them to like you, that is sometimes not the best fit for the therapeutic relationship. I think the things that are important to find in a therapist are, does it really, does this feel like someone that you can trust completely? Do they seem like they are going to have your best interest in mind? And that sometimes if, you know, there's too much of it, or it feels too social or familiar, that could feel good, but it can also be confusing because yeah, it might get in the way of things. I think you're making a good point. You're saying, well, fit doesn't mean that it's going to feel like a casual conversation. Or Um, that this is your new best friend. 
and and that a therapeutic relationship is different from friendship, even though it can have some friendly dimensions to it. And it can be confusing if there's a level of intimacy, though that's one of the reasons why it tends to be more that the patient is talking about themselves than the therapist, because that helps to keep that boundary pretty clear. And so the idea of a good fit isn't like that you know, it feels like we're best friends, but you're also talking about something like you feel like you can completely trust the person. I think that's on average is, is, is certainly, it's obviously important that a therapist be trustworthy and caring by the same token, though, a lot of people have trouble knowing who they can trust and can sometimes get into relationships for longer than is healthy for them because their trust radar isn't great. And, therapy ought to be able to help people develop that Mm -hmm. as well. Right. And, and the therapist should give some indication that they're thinking about that. This is something that came up um, relatively recently where, you know, the idea of treating, let's say one person and they refer a friend and how close is that friend? And is it okay to treat the friend as well? Or, That comes up very often. Yeah, it does. And I think at least, you know, regardless of what you decide to do, at least talking about what it would mean to work together, or is it better for you to help that person find someone else where they can feel completely comfortable? Like all of that should be a consideration. And I think like along those same lines, Uh I feel that secrets um, can be really damaging. If I suspect that I, let's say, know someone socially that a, a patient might be talking about, I think I would say something. You'd say something appropriate that doesn't disclose too much information, but you know shows that you care and you're thinking about the future. In general, I think what you're saying is important specifically because of trust in relationships and, and, and betrayals. Mm-hmm. But also, in general, you're talking about what is sometimes called mentalization and how, and how two people together can talk through difficult issues, explain how it's helpful and have it be a reparative experience rather than simply like a rejection. I can't work with you. Right, exactly. Or to find out later that like you went to high school with that, you know, it's because they know you're a person in the world. And so I think being honest about that stuff, even if it might be more of a disclosure that yeah. you would normally make is yeah. important because it yeah. symbolizes that you're going to be honest about other things. Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm, I don't want to get into that situation either. So yeah. if some if someone's referred to me, I, I always think about whether there's some connection yeah. um, or whether they, they might be better served with someone else because there, there are many good therapists. Sometimes people get really focused on, I want to work with this one person only. Mm. And that's usually not the case. Right, because everybody can help in different ways, right? I mean, you know, everyone's different and there there may be someone who you work particularly well with, Mm -hmm. but I think you're talking about a situation where like maybe someone, someone who already knows you, maybe works with you as a therapist, thinks so highly of you. And they've told, they've told their friend that you're sort of like uh, a savior of some sort. You're the best therapist in, you know, on the Eastern seaboard and in New York. And they, they get the feeling that you're the only one they can work with. I've, I've had this a little bit too writing because I've written mm-hmm. about things and I've written about myself a little bit. So I know there's personal information that is available. Many, many people I work with don't, don't look, look, look me up online. Mm-hmm. 
and if they, you know, if they wanted to, they could, or, oh, I didn't, I didn't know you, I didn't know you wrote a blog. It's like, yeah, you know, like we usually don't push those things on people. Right. I'll, right. I'll bring things up sometimes if I think it'll be particularly helpful. But I've also gotten people from from the other side of the world who who read something I wrote and really thought that I was the only person on the planet who really could help them, mm-hmm. which is sort of unfortunate. Well, I think it's usually that's... there is access to help wherever you are. Right. We we hope. Uh, we hope. But I think it's true. It's about feeling understood. Right, you read know. something and and you're like, oh, I really feel understood for the first time ever. I've I've had yeah. many people sort of email me and say that, which of course yeah. I, I feel very grateful and and I take it with a grain of salt because mm-hmm. most of what I've written I, I read somewhere else. You know, maybe it's my take on it, but you know, I've read a million trauma texts, mm-hmm. and if I write a thousand word blog about trauma that someone relates to, I really appreciate it. But you know, it's on the shoulder of giants, right? You know, mm-hmm. we we learn from. The people who taught us there's a kind of a humility right that you have right and it and an acknowledgement and i think this is where because as a psychiatrist sometimes i'll speak to people who are really just looking uh for psychotherapy and they might not need my services they might be just medication you know, wise you mean right medication wise so it might be um a stretch financially that they don't need to make and well if they I, really need someone who's caring and attentive though you know that is really healing for a lot of people. True, but I think I'm not the only person who is caring and attentive and and that people have to do what works for them and they can get just as good of a result. Uh, right, see, right. you know, and, and I think that's where when people say, well, this person is, is the best or she's the greatest. Right, I don't right. think there is a best or greatest. I think there may be some fantasy elements there. Right. But it's right. hard, it's hard to it's hard to tell someone that you can't work with them when you genuinely are someone who would love to work with everyone if you could right. help right. everyone. Exactly. You know, there's like seven or eight billion people on the planet. I calculated once that if everyone on the planet had therapy once a week, I think it, it came out to 250 million therapists would be required. <laughs> you know, with a 30-hour work week. Right. How many do we have? I couldn't find that number, but the last estimate okay. I saw was maybe maybe somewhere around a million, not yeah. even. So, you know, uh-huh. there, the world needs help, yeah. and we don't quite know where to go for it. It, mm-hmm. it is sort of in some kind of societal way. Well, I, I thought as we're winding down, I wanted yeah. to see if there are any important areas we wanted to cover. Asking about progress and goals, you know, yeah. bring that up with your therapist if they don't bring it up with you. I, I think it is... Right. While it is open-ended, it, it's good to have some For sort sure. of sense of where you're headed, even if it's to define where you're headed. Yeah. The main thing is, I guess, worth, I'd like to get your your take on this after talking through it for a little while, is this idea that a lot of what happens in therapy applies outside of therapy. These are skills where therapy is kind of a lab mm-hmm. or a theater or a playground where you can you can take risks and know that it's safe enough. Right. Um, other things, like they don't apply outside of therapy, like don't say everything that comes to your mind as soon as it comes to your mind in every <laughs> right. social setting or every business setting. Yeah. What are what are your thoughts about how therapy can be applied to, as people say to quote unquote real life, to I real think, relationships? Right. I think the idea of working through things, um, whether it's a conflict or a confrontation, a boundary setting or boundary violation, all of those can be practiced in therapy and they need to be practiced. It's because we weren't born knowing how to do that. 
the other sort of side of it is I, I don't think there are that many people when we talk about saying anything that comes to mind, it's actually very difficult to do. And so I'm usually not concerned that therapy is going to make people, let's say, unfiltered in some way. Um, like oversharing? I'm, I'm, I don't know. I've, I've not seen really it with con- couples, though. I've seen it with couples where really? they sort of like almost will want to therapize each other, so to speak, and talk too much yeah. or not give the okay. other person a chance to have a give and take. Because in therapy, like you have this very lopsided situation right. where, you know, usually the therapist will shut up and let you talk. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I basically agree. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and that point you made is important that the Freud's idea of free association takes a long time to learn how to do. I mean, right. the thing is, we really do, number one, suppress stuff that we think about. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're aware of it. And number two, there's a lot of stuff that's unformulated right. within us that we have to struggle to put into words. Exactly. Same thing with writing, too. Yeah. You know, there's a bunch of people, I think Joyce Carol Oates was one of them, who said something like, I write in order to know what I think, or yeah. something like that. So free associating can really serve as a, a window into a person's psyche for themselves, right? And I think that the the benefit of that, knowing what we think and feel and being able to put words to it, you know, is is great. But I, I just think it's not as, um, it's not like a, a real risk. Oh, I guess I guess maybe we can come back to that because yeah. I definitely think that there is a stage that people sometimes go through in therapy where they they are much more freely sharing things with people, which I think is a good thing. But yeah. then you sometimes learn through the reaction of other people sort of where to have a filter. <laughs> and so okay. that can be an important lesson as well. Yeah. And you know, your therapist isn't isn't typically going to do that, right? They're not going to say that's TMI, <laughs> right? I'd rather not talk about that, right? You can talk about anything. You should be. Right, right. I mean, within that's reason, it, but that doesn't yeah. include sort of um, violating the the, the therapist, of course, of course. you know, or, yeah. or, or things of that yeah. nature. So, so I think that the real risk of saying too much or oversharing in that way is sometimes when people don't have any outlet, Right. So if you have weekly therapy and you're able to go someplace and talk about it, it can sometimes contain, you know, that instinct elsewhere. Yeah. Well, therapy can help. Yeah. Give a place for that. I right. guess I'm thinking about even a specific example before we have to stop today. Mm-hmm. It's like a first date where on the first date, you know, you, t- you tell the person your whole developmental history. <laughs> now I'm in therapy and, you know, my mom and, you know, like. Yeah, not everyone is prepared for that. Well, uh, my point is you get used to talking about those very personal things very readily. Right. It doesn't right. translate to every situation. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's like, there are some people who think, well, if that person just can't handle it, if they can't handle me, then, you know, maybe they don't want to go out on a second date. So I think yeah, I, I, I'm familiar with that reasoning. I mean, yeah. I think generally sort of a, a, a healthy relationship will, will unfold gradually. And some people may defensively share a lot of things that they're anxious about themselves Mm -hmm. to see sort of who will accept them and who won't accept them right off the bat. It's a little riskier to take your time opening up to one another because you get invested in a relationship. And so I think some people share a lot right up front 
and, mm-hmm. and maybe that's fine. Maybe that works for them. Right. My experience is a lot of times people have a better experience with relationships when they get to know each other a little bit, but uh, it varies a lot. I agree. Final thoughts? Final word? No, that's it. Any doorknob I'm... comments today? <laughs> Glad we talked about this. We'll wait to hear what people have to say. We'd be interested to hear any reactions. Um, we've been more active on social media, so you can find us on Instagram and um, send us your thoughts. Yeah, and if there's anything you would like us to cover, let us know. Yeah. And if you have any guests that you want to suggest, let us know. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Doorknob Comments. We're committed to bringing you new episodes with great guests. Please take a moment to share your thoughts. We'd love it if you could leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. You can also find us on Instagram at Doorknob Comments. Remember, this podcast is for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of psychiatry or any other type of medicine. This is not a substitute for professional and individual treatment services and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. If you feel that you may be in crisis, please don't delay in securing mental health treatment. Thank you for listening.